Um, and we are in a season to what? A season to step up. And we're taking a look at really the lifestyle of the early church because we want to be able to recapture the character and the influence that they walked in and that they had. And it's not just, uh, we don't want to copy, uh, just copy what they did. Um, I don't really want to trade in my Clarks for a pair of open-toed sandals. I don't really want to trade in my hot water heater uh, because I do like uh, taking uh, warm showers in the morning. Um, there, there are many things I don't want to copy, uh, but I do want to recapture the influence and the character that they walked in. And that is something that we see uh, through the early church that um, really Luke uh, recorded in the book of Acts, and it was really powerful. Um, and so our theme scripture, just for that theme for, for this season, is from uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And uh, Joanna, can you uh, help me with the, the first slide there? It says, let's all read this together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So contrary to how it looks, it's not just, there are not four things in that list, there are just two. Um, and we see that the true spirituality of the early church, following the lifestyle and the teaching of the apostles, was connected to fellowship. We see that their spirituality, that true spirituality requires fellowship. In the early church, there weren't any vagabonds. There weren't any lone rangers. There weren't any free spirits. Uh, it was not just out there with me and Jesus um, because the culture and the society of the day didn't support that. If you were isolated, you were took out. And so uh, in, in our society, we have, uh, it's, it's a little bit easier uh, for us to consume Christianity um, without being connected to Christianity. We can consume it. We can watch a little bit here, listen to a little bit there, drive down the car with a, a hand up and not on the steering wheel. It's easy for us to consume a little. It's harder for us to be connected to it. Um, and that's what, uh, w one of the things that we see in the early church is that true spirituality requires fellowship. You can't have one without the other. And then also in the second, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, that true fellowship, the common meal, their hanging out, their fun, had Jesus at the center. And in our society, it's easy. We can be fun addicts. Um, we can have all kinds of fun without ever mentioning Jesus. You can build friendships over all kinds of things. Um, but it's the friendships that you have that are Christ-centered that are what get you through. And that we see that true fellowship, the true fellowship of the early church had Jesus at the center. Prayer, worship. It wasn't just something that happened in the temple. It happened house to house and on the beach and in the streets and wherever they were. Not as a way of just demonstrating, hey, look at us, but because it was part of the very fabric of their life. And that's something that I want us to grow in. I want to grow in. And so we're in a season to step up not to sign up for more stuff because we're all busy enough, but to step up into a life that has more character, more influence, more substance. And uh, yes, so two weeks ago, we looked at when just kind of the, the origins of this, we looked at how what Jesus 
a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, his friends, after he was raised from the dead. And we talked about, because Jesus told his disciples to go to the upper room and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And anyone remember why he told them to wait? It wasn't because he was playing games with them. It wasn't because he just wanted to see them squirm in the upper room for a little while longer. You know, for 40 days he talked and he preached to them and he taught them and he told stories about the kingdom after he was raised from the dead. And we looked at a passage in Acts in chapter 1 where it showed we saw where the heart of the disciples were, was. And it was somewhat the same way it had been before he was crucified. You know, all throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus talked and he spoke about the kingdom, and his disciples kept waiting for Jesus to, because he was the Messiah, because he was the Lord, he kept, they kept waiting for him to take and arrest power from the Roman emperor and move it to the holy seat of Jerusalem. They kept waiting to break the power, the oppressive power of the Roman government and bring it back to the kingdom of Israel. And so uh, they kept waiting for that to happen. He kept saying, you know, you're, you're not getting it. Uh, the kingdom is near, but not here. I have to suffer. I have to do this. I have to, this is the path that's laid out for the, for the hope and the joy that's set before me. Um, I have to endure the cross, I, but I will be raised after three days. And the disciples could not get it through their head. They, they could, like, it was like, this was, this was not according to their worldview. And then, you know, and... Then he was, he was betrayed, he was crucified, and then after he was raised from the dead, he reappeared for 40 days, and he talked, and he told stories, and he preached about the kingdom. And still, his disciples are thinking, wow, maybe now, finally, you're going to take power from the Roman emperor, and you're going to deliver it to the holy seat of Jerusalem. They asked, Lord, are you finally, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus is like, oh my goodness. The worldview. They're still, they could not get beyond the worldview, the perspective, the vantage point that they were in. And so he told them to go wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit so that they would turn from the things they were fixated on and start focusing on the promise. And so in that, he told them to wait because in that waiting, the Lord would purify their motives. The Lord would reveal where power comes from and that waiting would allow for God's perfect timing to orchestrate the things of the kingdom, the things he wanted to distribute in the earth. It would allow for his perfect timing and that God began to work in them the things that he wanted to do through them. And so we talked about that there was something in the waiting. And then last week, we talked about that after the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Holy Spirit came, they did not stay there. We talked about that the upper room is a launch pad and not a destination. It's not the upper room as a rec center for the church where we come and we play around and we have our games in church. The upper room, yes, every move of God in your life personally, and every move of God in the earth is birthed in prayer. It is birthed in the upper room. But God didn't design the upper room experience for us to stay there. 
It's to launch us into the earth. And we talked about that when Jesus, it's, you know, when he, uh, when it says, you know, when he gave up his spirit, when he was on, um, when he was on the cross, it, like the earth shook because the power of sin was broken off, b- broken from the earth. The curse was broken. It says the veil was torn literally from top to bottom. And we talked about that the, the next thing would have been to say, hey, the disciples would set up a sign and say, okay, now everyone's welcome to come into the temple because the, that veil was set up because God uh, had, to, had to literally carve out a beachhead, a holy place for his spirit, for his presence to be. And people had to go through this exhaustive preparation to come into the presence of God. And the veil was torn not so that more people could come into the temple. The veil was torn so that the presence, the very presence of God could be unleashed through the church and the earth. You now are the holy of holies. You are the temple, the tent of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God and the Holy Spirit has been unleashed through the church into the earth. And so that ministry really has moved out of the temple into the streets. That that promise is for everyone, both men and women. The promise is for everyone, both children, adults. The promise is for everyone, both Jew and Gentile of any class. And as Jesus did, so will you. So part three today is on the way. We're going to look at the last part of Acts chapter 2 and the beginning of Acts chapter 3. And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever wondered how much of your life you should give to ministry? How much of your life should you give to ministry? You know, we spend, have you ever thought about this? Like we spend all of our time in school only to get a job where we spend all our time working to keep the lights on in a home where we can carve out a few precious moments before our kids are spending all their time in school only to get a job where they will spend all their time working, right? It's a bit of a whirlwind. I mean, have you ever wondered why we spend so much of our life not pursuing the kingdom? Have you ever been frustrated that I, I know I see in God's word where he says, seek the kingdom of God first and all else will be added to me. He says, he's given us a great commission. Have you ever been frustrated about how much you spend on everything else? Right? No one's been frustrated. I mean, I, no one has felt that but me. <laughs> I have felt that. I have asked that question. When do we seek the kingdom? When do we fulfill the Great Commission? Do we all just quit our jobs and sit in the upper room and then roam around the streets of San Luis hunting down people to pray for? (laughs) I want to think, how do we really practically recapture the character and the influence of the early church? What does that look like? Like, if you thought about what does that look like in your life and in my life, I think there are some keys that are revealed at the end of Acts chapter 2 and the beginning of Acts chapter 3. So we're going to take a look at it. Um, this is the, uh, that passage where the theme scripture comes from. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, 
everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Does that sound like something you'd like to be a part of? Gosh, Lord, do that in us. Lord, do that in us. Do that here. Do that here, Lord. You know, there's a couple things that I want to highlight out of this passage. That verse, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. We can see that the early church really leaned in to one another. They were together. And yes, in our community, sometimes our community is really, um, I mean, we're spread out from San Miguel, Paso Robles, Atascadero, Santa Margarita, San Luis, Pismo Beach, the five cities, Santa Maria, some probably all the way even from Lompoc. I mean, we are spread out, some of us. But they leaned in. All the believers were together and they had things in common. And that is why Pastor Mike and I continue to harp on life groups. And it's not just, I know probably for at least half of you, it's frustrating. Um, I mean, but it's not just so that we can go and say that we do it. Because, yes, small group ministry, it's in vogue. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a thing in church culture. And we're not just doing it because everyone else is doing it. I mean, it's really, uh, it's not about whether you talk about the message from Sunday or whether you're reading a book together or whether you're, you're watching messages uh, by Keith Moore. It's not, it's not about necessarily the different things that you're doing. It's about leaning in. It's about building Christ-centered friendships. That's where the ministry of the church is going to be done. And it happens a day at a time and a week at a time. It's, it is, uh, if, if all of the ministry of the church had to be done through a program, we would never be the church that God wants us to be. If, if everything has to, if, you know, we want to, it, it, it's not just on Sunday mornings. If, if every place of ministry has to, have a program and somebody assigned to coordinate communication and we have to send out letters and notices of what we're going to be doing and then we have to give an announcement and make a video announcement about it and then we have to talk about it to get people to sign up to do it and we, we're, we're creating all this programmatic administration. Very little influence is ever had. But when you and I build Christ-centered friendships with one another, we become, God can answer prayers from one to another. When there's a family at, that's, that we work with or that has kids at the same school that has a need, we don't have to go through a program. We can just meet the need. 
That's the, that is the power, the beauty of, of Christ-centered friendships. It's leaning in to one another. I say, Michelle and I have been part of a community group for, you know, several years now. And it's seven families in the North County. We have probably 20 kids under the age of 12 um, between all of us. And yes, it, it has gotten messy sometimes. I mean, we've gotten cross-threaded. We've gotten on each other's nerves. It's brought out, I mean, we've seen each other at the weakest points, at places where we got suspicious. One person would get suspicious of another person's motives. One person got left out of this and, and that. And many times we've had the choice to just walk away and say, you know, it'd be easier fill in the blank. But we don't. We keep pressing in. Because those friendships are based around Christ, about growing, about being the church. You know, I, I have friends with uh, different dads because I love coaching Little League Baseball, and I have friends of other coaches and other dads that are just based around baseball. You can have friendships around baseball. You can have friendships around dance. You can have friendships because you both work at the same job. You can build friendships over lots of things in common, many different things. But we're the church. We, can ha we have Christ-centered friendships. Amen. And it's Christ-centered friendships that's the fabric of the body of Christ. It's when we get together and fellowship around his word and we're asking Questions about how we're doing really today. And it's about sharing our hearts and being vulnerable with one another in that place of safety around his word where we can be encouraged and corrected and exhorted. And we can encourage others. And we cannot just do that for one another, but for those in all of our spheres of influence and the places where we find ourselves. Just everyone, if you can just stand up just for one minute, I promise it'll only be a minute, and just look around. Do you know how many divine appointments are in this room? How many answers to prayer are in this room? How many creative ideas are in this room? How many shared interests are in this room? How many callings are in this room? You know, sometimes God will answer your prayer through me and my prayer through you. Okay, you can be seated. I know you're, it's, 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 it's a lot because we've been standing already for worship. But just to get, the only way we're going to find those things if we, if we lean in. And we build Christ-centered friendships with one another. The next thing is, the next verse, it says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And say that scripture is probably, that one verse has been taken out of context many times. Um, I mean, the, you know, people have uh, literally sold everything they had, gone into, you know, communes in some very rural area and disconnected from society entirely. Um, there's been uh, people that have used that to justify socialism and communism and every manner of wackiness. Um, but uh, the, the key thing from there is that they held what they had with open hands. It was less about what they owned and what it could do for me 
and it was more about what they had, they recognized that it wasn't just the tithe. It was that all that they had was the Lord's. They were, everything they had was available for him to move around where it was needed. That is something unique about the church about the people of God. We depend on him. We rest in his promises. Our confidence is in his faithfulness, not just for what he's already blessed us with, but for the blessings that are tomorrow. And when he leads us to give today, it's not out of a position of lack or scarcity, like, oh no, if I give that away, then I won't have what I need. No, it's that when I give when I give away, I am literally becoming an answer to prayer in that moment, and that tomorrow, my, my trust is, is in his faithfulness, that he'll bring me what I need tomorrow. It's that, it's that lifestyle. It's not, it's not just how much you have. It's how much you're available. And that is part of the character of the early church. They leaned in to Christ-centered friendships with one another, and they were available They were available. They weren't just concerned about building their own house and the wood panels and siding on their own house. They held what they had with open arms. And where there was need, they met it in Jesus' name. Now, just give a shout out to Michael Phillips over there. He's available. Everything that he has. It's not always pretty, man. It gets messy sometimes. But he gives stuff away. He gives his life, whatever he has. There's many in this room. I know I'm just calling him out, but there are many that just model what it's like to live available. And that's where God meets us. You know, uh, Wyatt, our uh, our youth pastor, he uh, won a, a motto that he lives by. He says, you know, I'm always busy, but I always have time. And I love that. It's like, I'm not just waiting around to be used. I'm not just sitting in a room frustrated that God's not using me. No, I'm doing the things. I'm working hard. I'm, I am sweating in the sun doing what I believe I've been called to do what maybe the work that's set before me. I am taking my responsibilities seriously. I am working hard. I am, I'm busy. But I'm not so busy I'm not available. I always have time for the Lord. I always have time to be redirected or diverted. Or I, I, I am available in every place. And so I would say I'm always busy, but I always have time. I love that. Um, and in the next passage, right after that, right after the end of Acts chapter 2, um, we move in to see really where, again, what practically this ministry looks like. So I'm going to read. It says, one day, Peter and John were on the way to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
And so taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. That's the marketplace. That's Farmer's Market, y'all. That's the Court Street downtown out front Abercrombie and Fitch. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, fellow San Luis Obispans, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? It's by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. And it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. There's power in the name of Jesus. Our faith is not in a wooden statue. Our faith is not in some creed that was written long ago by somebody we've never met and that we recite it mindlessly. Our faith is not in those things. Our faith is in the risen Savior who received the promise of the Holy Spirit and gave it to us that we can walk in Solomon's Colonnade or Farmer's Market or, you know, the supermarket or wherever we are, and we have something to give that's a lot more precious than silver or gold. We have something to give. You know, just to give a shout out, uh, there was a lady that came to, uh, I was talking to Pastor Mike this morning, there was a lady that came um, who had been really abused as a child, and she was a friend of um, one of the people that were part of the ministry, and uh, she came and had never been able really to sit through a church service without leaving and crying and making a mess of things. And that day, this morning, when she came, the forces of darkness and bondage were confronted. The demon was cast out. Silver and gold we may not have, but what I do have... I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, be delivered. And it got messy. I mean, she, Pastor Mark said, she puked and threw up all over the floor, and they were trying to get back. And I mean, it got really messy. But she was set free. And then she rested peacefully in the presence of God. And she began to know a peace that she had never felt before. She was in her right mind for the first time in 20 years. That's what the church can do, that no philosophy can do, that no textbook can do, that no no headline, no great source of worldly wisdom can do. The church can do that because we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We can say, in the name of Jesus, walk. And I want to highlight to you, this is something that I thought was really revealing. All of the, uh, you know, Peter and John, they, they actually set out this day 
to go pray for people. That's what the scripture says, right? They got together in the morning and they said, okay, we're going to go out and we're going to pray for people. Is that what it says? No, it, it actually says one day Peter and jo- John were on the way. They were doing what they were doing on that day. They were following the rhythm of life that they had. They were going to prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, do you, do you think the people in the early church had jobs? They had jobs. They worked. They worked hard. And many times, you and I, we are always on the way to something. But when Peter and John were on the way, they recognized they were passing the very people that God loved. And they were in a place where they were sensitive to him. You know, I was uh, just at a conference um, for my business, a technology uh, a technology conference. We were up in Sacramento. And after the conference was over, this was uh, on, on Friday night, we went to Old Town, Sacramento, and uh, we actually uh, went and got to play pool. Like, I haven't played pool since college. And then I was thinking about, why haven't I played pool since college? Well, it's because most pool tables are in bars. And uh, <laughs> so uh, that's why I haven't played pool. And I don't really know very many friends who have pool tables, so I haven't played pool since college. Well, uh, in bigger cities, they have places where you can actually go play pool. Uh, and so we were, uh, th- there was probably 10 or 12 of us that were out, out playing pool. And we saw there was, uh, there was three people playing pool at the, at the table next to us. And uh, we started, you know, talking, getting to know them. I didn't really see it really as really a godly moment. We were just on the way. We were having fun. We were playing pool. And uh, this, it turns out these three people, they all had the same biological father, uh, but they were spread out and th- they didn't know who the guy was. And they, you know, one, one gal uh, from, from Los Angeles had found another uh, half-brother through like, uh, you know, the, the Ancestry.com and di- try and... Uh, taking a, I think, a DNA test and just looking for people. And she had found a half-brother. And then the two of them started looking and they found this other lady who lived in Sacramento and they went up and they found this other lady and they were hanging out. And so they're She's, uh, they're talking to him about, you know, they're looking to kind of find who they are, right? They're, they're, they're on this search for a connection and, and maybe the why, like what, what's going on and looking for a place of connection. And, um, you know, this, this one, uh, uh, the gal from, from LA, she's telling us, you know, she's saying, you know, just really practically some things about her life and mistakes that she had made. She was 35. She had, you know, uh, she had, had been married twice already and was divorced twice, had a kid from each marriage, and she was just telling us about some of these, just the mistakes and kind of the journey that she was on. Um, And then all of a sudden, she turns and looks at me, and she says, do you think God can forgive my sin? Now, I was not really even in that mode. And my wife says that I have low RAM, but a big hard drive. So when you catch me off guard... Sometimes it takes a minute for the old processor to say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, this was a setup, (laughs) right? So before, like, I could catch up with the moment, I was like, why are you asking me? Really uh, eloquent question there. She's all, there's just, there's something different about you. Are are you a church boy? (laughs) And I said, that is the actual, I'm like, oh, boy. 
So then my, my friend pipes up and he says, well, actually, he's becoming the pastor of a church in August, right? One of my coworkers. And then it gets really quiet. Like, now they're all looking at me. And the question is, can God forgive your sin, right? Uh, and by that time, I think my spirit caught up, right, to, uh, and, um, and, you know, I just began to share with her in front of all these and say, yes, God can forgive your sin. And there's a reason why you're asking what you're sensing is not necessarily, I mean, you don't know me from beans, right? What you're sensing is the presence of God. God does not want you, that weight that you're carrying, he doesn't want you to carry it for one more minute. It's not yours to carry. And then she starts, you know, just, she's touched. I mean, she's moved. Not, not because I had, I had done some great thing but because God's presence is so great. We were on the way. You and I are on the way every day. And the answer to the question of how much time should you give to ministry, some of, I heard some of you say, like, the pat answer, all of it. Well, that is true. But it doesn't mean that we need to quit our jobs and literally sell everything we have and do nothing but wait around and look for people to pray for. No. Yes, we're here to work hard. We have jobs to do, families to raise, friends to take care of, and fun to have. Yes. I mean, life really should be fun sometimes. We're on the way. We have cruises to take, right, Gordon and I? Come on. We have fun to have, but we're on the way. We can't ever be so consumed with where we're going that we don't see the people that are right there on the way. We are always on the way. And this is another thing that I saw in this, uh, this passage. It says, when Peter and John, when he saw Peter and John about to, to enter, um, he asked them for money. And what does it say? It says, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. You know, when you look somebody in the eye, you are giving dignity to that person. It was not culturally correct for that to happen in that day. Beggars did not look at people walking into the temple. That was not an approved action. People did not look at beggars in the eye because they might be unclean. It was like when you look at somebody in the eye, you're saying, hey, you and I are the same. We're connecting because your eye gates, your eyes are literally a window to your soul. When you look at somebody in the eye, you are inviting them to see who you really are and you are able to see into them to who they really are. Now, that may not come out in their whole story in two seconds, but you are sharing and giving dignity to that person. And you will find that it is often hard, even when you want to look somebody in the eye, they look down or they look away. Like, it can be very uncomfortable, but it's very powerful and it's very important. Jesus looked people in the eye. We should look people in the eye, not to stare them down, 
but with the gentility and the vulnerability to say, hey, you can see me and I see you. That's where the connection is made that allows the presence that we carry to first be shared, to be shared with the people around us. And so Peter and John, it says, they looked straight at him. They gave dignity to that person. They got down and looked him right in the eye and said, yes, you and I are the same. We can't say I love you and betray it without looking them in the eye. And so in that moment, and we invite people, no, you can look me in the eye, look at us. It's not, what I, it's not what you can do for me. It's not so I can feel good about myself that I handed you a track or a McDonald's hamburger. It's not so that I can check that box off for today. It's not about that act. It's about the connection. It's about that, that person, that all of us have dignity intrinsically, no matter what we look like on the outside no matter what state we're in. You know, if I took a $20 bill and crumpled it up so much and I threw it on the ground in mud and squished it around and I pulled it up and I said, how much is it worth? Still worth $20. There's a lot of people that are $20 bills that have just been crumpled and mashed and squished and you could say, wow, that's a dirty piece of paper. But it's still a $20 bill. And when we look people in the eye, we are giving, we're saying, yes, you have dignity. This is what Jesus did for us. There's somebody that just needs to hear that. Will you receive him today? He leaned in. He was available. He looked you in the eye. And he gave you dignity. Extended dignity. Will you receive him today? I want to share with you just a, a challenge that God gave me. Um, once a day... Yeah, he said, it was called, he gave it to me as like the 15-minute challenge because as I was preparing for this whole series a couple of months back, it was, uh, I got really convicted about this part of the message is practical and I, and I see how much of, how little margin I have and I'm always, I'm always driving right at, you know, five miles an hour over the speed limit. I'm trying to get from here to there and I'm taking the first parking place in front of this place and I'm walking quickly and I, I recognize I was convicted that I was not nearly as available as I needed to be. And he said, would you just give me 15 extra minutes on the way once a day for, for something? So I'd leave 15 minutes early and I'd slow down and I'd park on the other side of the parking lot and I'd walk slowly, right? And I'd start to just look at people, see people. And it's amazing how much the Lord began to use me just in those 15 minutes. 
on the way. There's so much ministry to be done on the way. And that was just one, as I say, I'm trying to do it more than once a day, but more and more just to leave extra time. And you know what? If I get somewhere and I'm early, well, then I just say, hey, Lord, is there somebody I can pray for? Like I'm seeing they're there and, I, and I'll just pray for them quietly or silently. And yes, I can't do it everywhere I go. I don't have that many extra 15 minutes in the day. But at least once a day, I leave 15 extra minutes. And as many chances as I can, I'll go out of my way to be early so I'm not in a hurry. And I can be more and more available, as available as I can possibly be, that the Lord would use me on the way. And so I just created a little acronym, I think, it's called the BOLD 15 Challenge. Bold, be available, on the way, lean in, dignity for everyone. If you can read that with me, bold. That's something you can remember, be bold. The early church prayed for boldness, to be witnesses in the earth. Lord, give us boldness that we can fully preach your gospel. Yes, because, I mean, it's not always a friendly place out in society. It's, it's really not. They prayed for boldness. Well, this to me is what boldness in some ways looks like. So let's read it. Be available on the way. Lean in dignity for everyone. And so I want to say, once a day, leave 15 extra minutes. Once a day for a week. And when we uh, do praise reports, and prayer requests when we do that next week. I'm going to ask uh, just if we can uh, share some praise reports about what those, the Lord does in those 15 minutes. Because I believe God wants us to meet us and use us on the way. It's less about all of the things that you can do and more. You just need to recognize you carry the very presence and the Holy Spirit of God. And be more and more sensitive to that so that when you are on the way, you are available. You are leaning in. You're giving dignity, extending dignity to everyone. And the Lord's going to meet us there. Amen? Yes. So that's the bold 15 challenge. I hereby commission you and challenge you with the bold 15 challenge for this week, once a day. Leave 15 extra minutes and be available to the Lord intentionally. And when you get hooked, that's something you can be addicted to. I'm just letting you know. So um, let's say, worship team, can you help? We're going we're gonna to sing uh, this, this song again. We've been singing it the last couple of weeks together. Lord, we worship you. And I just, I know it's repetitive. Um, I don't know, Jared... Yeah, here you go. We're just, uh, we're going to sing this song in closing together. And I would say, if you are ready to take the Bold 15 Challenge, in this time of worship, make that real with the Lord. Make that real with the Lord. So if we can just stand to our feet, we're going we're gonna to close with this song. And allow... We really want to capture and recapture the influence and the character of the early church. 
you are carriers of the presence of God. Prayer team, if you can come forward and people need prayer, you want to be filled. If you, maybe you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. All this talk about the presence of God and being a carrier of the Holy Spirit, and you're saying, well, I might, I've believed that Jesus is the Son of God, but what you're talking about, I, I'm pretty sure I don't walk in that. Today, you can be filled with his presence. Just like the friends, his disciples that went to the upper room to wait for the promise, you can receive that promise this morning. Maybe you need to receive Jesus for the first time. You're saying, for the first time, I really see that Jesus is looking me in the eye. Come forward, receive him. But as we're in this attitude, we're going to worship just for one more, just a couple more minutes. And if you're ready to make that bold 15 challenge, to be available on the way, to lean in, and to extend dignity for everyone. Leaving 15 minutes just once a day on the way somewhere to be available to him. Just make that real with the Lord this morning. Lord, we worship you. Now we lift your holy name. Lord, we worship you. Send your all-consuming flame. Lord, we worship you. Now we lift your holy name. Lord, we worship you. Send your all-consuming flame. Lord, we worship you. Now we lift your Send your all-consuming flame, Lord, we worship you. Now we lift your holy name, Lord, we worship you. Send your all-consuming flame, we need your Now we lift your holy name, Lord. 
Father, in Jesus' name, we are together as family this morning. I pray that you'd help us to grow as family tomorrow and Tuesday and in the weeks to come, that you'd help us to grow on the way, to be available to you. Help us to grow in Christ-centered friendships with one another, to be available to your leading, to lean into relationship and to friendship with one another, to each other. God, we long to grow and to recapture the influence, the character of the early church. That we can recognize the privilege we have of being carriers of your presence, of being tents and temples for your Holy Spirit, for being able to speak and walk by faith. Lord, I bless, I bless your people this morning. Bless them on the way. Bless them at school. Bless them on their jobs. Bless them on the road home. Bless them in the park and in the field and all the places on the streets of San Luis and the towns and communities around here. Bless them with assignments that we can share testimonies of your greatness and your goodness and the unfolding of your promise and your covenant in the earth in our community. And all God's people said, amen. I'll be up here if you need prayer, if you would like to talk, but be blessed.